A couple of things just real quick. I want to thank you guys. If you remember, we're trying to uh, have masks on the kids back there in GC Kids and on Wednesday nights. And the reason we're doing that is because we draw from multiple districts, which is a real blessing. Uh, we have one district that has no mandate, another district to do. So on Sunday, we're just kind of trying to keep kids uh, in as healthy an environment as possible. And that's Katie Neal's idea. And so I don't know, you know. <laughs> I kid. Uh, but one more thing before we jump into the message today. We're talking about, you know, just what to do for Afghanistan and that kind of stuff. And, and just like praying for them and all that kind of stuff. I, I just, this is like just something on my heart. Let's not say, like church people, let's not say we're sending you our prayers, our thoughts, and our vibes. Because I don't know what thoughts and vibes are doing. Like, I mean, I see this all the time on Facebook, like, man, I'm sending you good vibes. Don't, don't send me good vibes. I don't need your vibes. Uh, prayers I will take, because I think there's power in that. I'm not even 100% sure what a vibe is, so I don't know if I need it or not yet. But like, should that change... Let's just let's not dump, let's not lump those three things into one bucket because it looks like we think they're all three the same thing. Prayer is something. Thoughts and vibes maybe something, but they don't have the same power. Right? Let's just stick with prayer. That's just my little side note there. It has nothing to do with anything. Uh, how are we still good? Everyone's still good after those two points? All right, good. So we've been on a little series called Multiply. And uh, by the way, my name is Tommy. If we hadn't met, I'm the pastor here. What? You want me to be louder? Oh, the video. Oh, dadgummit. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Chandler Farrell, and the person who discipled me is actually one of my college professors, Dr. Chris Bruni. He was a guy who I got really close to just through like a weekly Bible study and just a lot of lunches and time together and just became a good friend and mentor to me. And the biggest thing he taught me about discipleship and just getting closer to God was just really the way you live. So rather than just telling me how to do it, he just showed me. So he, through his life, whether he was teaching or having a lunch with someone, you just walked away from that point knowing like, man, that guy's a Christian. He has a different worldview. Like he is looking at it from Christ. And that's always stuck with me and that I wanted to be someone like that to where when someone leaves a room, they know like, man, something's different about that guy. He truly loves people and wants to be more like Christ. I'm back. <laughs> it's not like we didn't just do this an hour ago, didn't we? That was Chandler, man. I, we're doing those videos. Uh, we're going to do one of those before each uh, message, theoretically, over the, over the course of this series. And it's, man, that's intimidating if you're not used to being in front of a camera like that. So give it up for those folks who are making these videos for us. That's cool. All right, where was I? Let's see. Talked about vibes. Talked about Katie and the mass policy. All right, yeah. So we're doing our series Multiply. And my hope is that you're all reading this book. Even if I hope you're reading it in a group. But if you're not reading it in a group, I hope you're at least reading it on your own because what's happening is I am preaching and then you're reading. And then I'm preaching and then you're reading. And that's sort of the, the, the rhythm we've got going for this. So if you haven't picked it up, this is only week two. It's not too late. Pick it up uh, and start reading. So last week we talked about what a disciple is. And you guys remember that there's something a disciple does. What, what, there, there's, Jesus went up to people and said two words. Remember what the two words were? Follow me. And so what does a disciple do? 
follows Christ. It, it was a literal request. Uh, I think over time we've made it not, but when Jesus said, follow me, he really literally, which by the way is the most overused word in the English language right now, he really meant follow me. And so who's a disciple? A disciple is one who is following Christ. And how do you become that? How do you become a disciple? There's a word we use and it means to turn. Y'all remember what that word was? Repent. Look at you guys. They said you wouldn't know, but I knew you would. It means to turn. It means to turn from what you're doing and to go a different direction. To repent simply means that, that Christ is, is calling you while you're going this direction, while you're doing your own thing, while you're living in the world, and Christ fo call, follows you and you turn and you follow him. And the analogy in the book was about the, um, a king and a new kingdom that's invading your home. And it's coming and you basically have two options. You can surrender to it or you can fight it. And so that's sort of what, what it means to, you can either surrender to God or you can fight God. But how many of you guys grew up hearing this language around, around Jesus? Like you've got to invite Christ into your life. Did y'all grow up hearing that? Me too. You need to invite him in. You need to invite him in. Okay, now take that analogy of the invading kingdom and they're coming and they will either kill you or you will surrender. How does invite them into your life work in that? Here comes the army. You guys are welcome to spend some time with me. I mean, does that, does that even make sense? An invading army's coming. You're going to die. You're going to surrender. And your response is, we'll just come into my world for a little while. I think this is one of the problems with us and Jesus. We, we grew up believing that it was to invite him into your life. To be a disciple is not to invite Jesus into your world. To be a disciple is to give your world to Jesus. And those are two very different things. And so that's one of the things we're talking about through this series. What does it look like to give your world to Christ? And so we talked about what a disciple is and, and who a disciple. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what a disciple does. And this one right here, I have to tell you guys, um, writing this was one of the most fun messages I've written in a while. It was also the most personally convicting for me message I've written in a while. Um, this is one where I truly knew that I needed to repent in some areas of my life and turn and do better. So what does a disciple do? Matthew 28, 18. It says, then Jesus, all right, let me reset the scene for y'all on this one. Jesus has died on a cross. Everyone saw him, right? Everyone, it was obvious he was there. He died. They buried him. Three days later, he rises from the dead and he goes and walks around with people. And like 300 people saw him. He's walking around for like 30 days. He's hanging out. He's having conversations. After all these things have happened, Jesus is with some of his boys and he's on top of a mountain. And this is where this conversation takes place. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. Okay, verse 20. Let's, let's look at verse 20 in this right here. And teaching them to obey, what's that next word? Everything I have politely requested. Would you please mind doing? Commanded. And teaching them to obey everything. So I think what we can say is, what do disciples do? Everything Christ has commanded them to do. And now that's a big bucket, isn't it? I mean, imagine I said, hey, 
uh, maybe your boss comes to you or a parent or something like that. And they say, I want you to follow every rule I've ever given you. Aren't you like, man, there's a lot of them. I mean, where do you start? And so I think when we begin to, to hear this, to obey every single command Christ has given us, for many of us, the first thing is just like, what? Where would I even start doing that? But this is why we read the Bible as a whole book. And we understand Scripture through Scripture. You don't just read one verse. You read the whole thing because later on, Jesus gives us exactly where He wants us to start. This is Matthew 22. It says this in Matthew 22, 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is the commandment? If you're trying to figure out where to start, what is the commandment? I think in that passage, he makes it simple. He wants us to what? Love. Love. He wants us to Love. And if you, if you guys remember the word that Jesus is using when he talks about love, you remember the word? Anyone remember it? Yes. Agape. It is love without expecting anything in return. It, it, it is love where you receive nothing back sometimes. Most of us are good at, I'll love you if you love me. Right? I mean, most of us are good at, at contractual love. I will if you will. And that's what most relationships hinge on, contract love. If you, then I. As long as you do these things, then I will love you. And that, that, I mean, even like loving a little baby. Like Megan's got a little baby back. That baby can't do anything for you, right? I mean, it just eats and probably stinks some and sleeps. That's pretty much what the baby does. But there's still some reward that you get for that baby. Otherwise, you'd have pushed it down the Nile like Moses, right? And there's a reward. And so we get that. There is a reward for us in these things. The love that Jesus is talking about is a love where there may be no reward for you. It's agape love. It's love. And I always say this when I'm preaching on a topic like this. Do not use anything I'm about to say to stay in an abusive relationship because that's not what this is talking about. And do not use anything I'm about to say to allow someone to not experience the consequences of their actions because that's not love. If you think you might be doing one of those things, come talk to me. So we're not talking about those things. But we are talking about agape love. And just out of show of hands, and please, I really want you guys to participate in this one because sometimes I ask you to and you don't. It hurts my feelings. How many of you have ever heard a sermon in church about love? We've all heard it, right? Every, as a matter of fact, it's probably the single most popular topic talked about in church. We've, and, and as soon as I start saying, all right, today we're going to talk about love, I think half of us just disconnect because we're like, okay, great, heard that one. I can go ahead and get to the cafe and be the people from East Union, right? And that, that's like our thought. But if we've heard this so many times, why are we so bad at it? Like if, if we've heard this sermon 10,000 times, why aren't we better at doing this? We think this is boring. We think this is not fun. We think this is like, oh, okay, love, whatever, I get it. Listen, there is no greater adrenaline rush in the Christian life than loving in the way God is telling us to. And many of us in this room, we have chased highs and we have chased adrenaline in so many ways. This 
is game-changing, rule-breaking, crazy, over-the-top love. And to live this out would be the greatest adventure you would ever have. But most of us just think, meh. Because we get to this in Matthew 5. This is where I was reading. I was like, oh, man, come on. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Therefore, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. This is the kind of love that he's talking about. It's not just to people who are like you. He says, don't just love people who, who look like you and talk like you, but I want you to love people who might hate you. I want you to love people who don't act like you. I want you to love people who don't talk like you. I want you to love people who don't think like you. I want you to love people who don't vote. Almost such a dirty word. Who don't vote like you. What? Come on, Jesus. I want you to love people, even those who give you nothing in return. And if you are living that ethic out and you are bored, then you are not telling the truth. Because that is dicey, difficult, hard stuff right there. I mean, I used to read Matthew 5, and maybe you guys have done this too. I used to, I used to read Matthew 5 and think that, that God was showing me the destination. Like, here's where I want to take you, to a place where you can love even your enemies. Like, like, like that, that's, that's where God is taking me one day. But I'm beginning to believe that love is not just the destination. I'm beginning to believe love is the cover charge. And don't you act like you don't know what a cover charge is. It's in that church. Come on now. Don't lie to me in here. Cover charge, honey? I have no idea. Come on. You know. (laughs) It's not just the destination. Be perfect. Be perfect. Does that sound like something God is saying, I would suggest that later on, sometime in the future, you become perfect? Is that what that sounds like? I mean, when you tell your kid, be quiet, are you saying, it is my hope and desire that at some point, you will begin to move towards a level of silence that will not annoy me to the current level you're annoying me right now? Like, is that what you mean when you tell your kid to be quiet? Kristen, you're a teacher. When you tell them to be quiet, do you mean, I hope at some point, children, you decide to begin to be, no. You got, who hunts in here? Who, who deer hunts? Raise your hand if you do. How many of you, when you tell your son, be still, you mean, over the course of the next seven to five years, <laughs> I would love for you to become still to the point where you did not spook every single deer I'm trying to kill. <laughs> Is that what you mean? <laughs> no. When you say, be quiet, you mean, when you say, be still, you mean, lock it up. When Jesus says, be perfect, I'm beginning to think that what he means is, be perfect now. Follow me means follow me. And when he's talking about love, I believe that he means I want you to be perfect in this right now. And if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't ask you to do it. This is not Jesus saying, Tommy, be good at calculus. I mean, that's, that's impossible. This is Jesus telling me something that he seems to believe is possible. And I don't think he means like, 
Be perfect in the way you feel about everyone all the time. Because some of your feelings you can't help. Right? Feelings are neither bad nor good. They're feelings. And over time, God will begin to change the desires of your heart. He'll, he'll handle your feelings. I think what he means is be perfect in the areas where you can be perfect. What you say, what you post, uh, how you speak to your kids, how you speak to your spouse, how you speak to that person at Sonic, how you act in traffic. Like, be perfect in everything you can control, and then he will perfect you in the areas you cannot control. And I, guys, I have searched high and low. I spent the first, like, 30 years of my life just looking for biblical loopholes so I could do what I wanted. I cannot find a loophole for love. I can't find it. I can't find a loophole for this one. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is almost a little rude. Listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Meh! That's what a gong sounds like in my mind, or a cymbal. <laughs> Insert your own sound effect. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not love, I gain. Love is patient. And it's kind, and it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast, and it's not proud, and it does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. Have you heard that? Where'd you hear it? At your wedding. And so your assumption was, this is only talking about my spouse. Even that is a struggle sometimes, isn't it? Like, where are we perfect in this? It's clear. Like, if you're not loving, then nothing else we're doing matters. And love, in biblical terms, is a verb. It is an action. And so he's saying you must actively love people you do not like. And that's hard to do. And that is the greatest adventure you will ever have. What could possibly be more exciting than that? Now, when I read the stories in the Bible, the cool ones, the ones that I'm like, man, that would have been cool. It's never about people like, I don't know, stockpiling food so they can be doomsday preppers. It's about people going out into the world and laying down their lives for people out of love. It's about disciples who, who are so full of love after Christ is crucified that they walk out into the street and because they love people and because they love God, they're like, hey, we know Jesus and we're with him. And if you want to be with us, repent and turn. And they go into places where no one else would go and they heal people no one else would touch and they completely sacrifice their lives for people who would eventually take their lives. And those are the heroes of this book. And to think that that's boring, to think that that's like mundane, that that's not a life I want is crazy. That is cliff-jumping Christianity. It's exciting. Can you imagine? You're somewhere where everybody hates you. I can imagine it. And you're like, just telling them about Jesus and nothing in you cares about anything but the glory of God. And to live is to talk about Christ. 
and to die is to be face to face with it. Like if you've experienced an energy and an excitement greater than that, give it to me because I want some. But it doesn't exist. That's the hype. That's the rush. We don't ignore sin. We love people. We don't ignore injustice, but we love people. We handle all of these things in a loving manner. And this is how we change the world. When was the last time you loved someone and it cost you something? When's the last time you loved someone you didn't like? When's the last time you loved someone who might have hated you to the point where it actually cost you something? So, confession time here. I was writing this message this week, and, uh, and I get to this point right here, and I'm writing about it, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I start praying. I'm like, all right, God, I haven't done that in a while. Give me somebody to love. Give, give me somebody to love that's going to be difficult, you know, and really, I didn't mean like super difficult. I meant like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'd have to eat like a bead meal or something, like, or someone who I kind of like, but, it, you know, not anything crazy because we don't want to take this stuff too far, right? And so I'm having this conversation with God. About two weeks ago, I got a voice me- uh, message. Um, Amber put a message on my desk, a little post-it note, uh, from a guy, and it was a person who'd said some really bad things to me and my family and some scary things, some threatening things, and so I took that, that post-it note, and I thought I had thrown it away because I was going to sort of Michael Scott folder that one, you know, put it in there, we're never going to do anything with that. And as I'm writing this message, and I'm praying about God give me someone, I look and I see that stinking post-it note right there on my desk. Right, yeah. And so I'm like, no, no, like, I don't want to do this. I don't even want to want to want to want to do this. Like nothing in me wants to call, make this call. And God says to me as clear as a bell, be perfect. And I'm thinking in my head, you know how many times I have been imperfect? How many mistakes I've made in my life? How many times I have made the wrong choice? But in this moment, all that stands between me and a moment of perfection, not that I'm not saying, I'm, y'all, y'all, you don't know what I'm saying, a moment where I get to experience holiness of heart and mind, a selfless move, perfect in love, all I have to do is pick up the phone. And I bet you I debated this for two hours. And then I picked up the phone. And by the grace of God, I got his voicemail. (laughs) It reminded me of when the dude took his kid up on the mountain and had the knife, and then God gave him a lamb. (laughs) But he ended up calling me back, and we talked, and and we're going to go have lunch and some different things like that, and I'm going to learn how to love better than I've loved before. Um. No, don't, no, 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 don't clap for me. It's not worth it. Because too many times I've failed in this. I share this with you because there's one of these stories for all of us. Right? It's like we're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for eternity, and we're going to be perfected. No, you can be perfect now. Like you have an opportunity just by forgiving that person. Maybe it's by making that call. Maybe it's by not making that call. Maybe it's by walking across the room. Maybe it's by sending that letter. By doing that thing, you have the opportunity right now, by letting go, by letting go of that neck, you have the opportunity right now to experience perfect. How good does that sound? We're singing a song about faultless stand before the throne, and we're all going, I can't wait to get to heaven. What if I can have a moment of that here? 
What if I can taste holiness of heart and mind in this life, now, in this world? What in the world would taste better than that? Be perfect. Be perfect in this area. Because I believe this area means the most to the one who is perfect. Guys, if we just, hear me, if we just win this. And my story I share publicly, right? And I get to do that. And so, great. I get to, you don't. But this isn't about public praise. This is about a moment between you and the Father where you truly trust Him. And you know how hard these moments are? Maybe you see somebody while you're out and you know, like God is telling you to do something that could be, you know, not what you want to do and you just stop and do it. If this is going to be a church that makes disciples, this will have to be a church where disciples are committed to love. How far will we go on this one? And as I was writing this and I was talking to God, I was convicted of so many times when I didn't do that, when I missed the opportunity to be perfect. But I'm willing to bet you all have in your mind right now something that God has given you where you can make a move to experience perfection. Why wait? It tastes good now. You want an adventure? You want a high? You want a rush? Love in a way that costs you something. This is how we change the world. Amen.